We're going to Venus. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA selected two missions to head to Venus by the end of the 2020s. Veritas and Da Vinci Plus will be the first U.S. missions to Venus in decades. So why study Venus? Well, the surface of the planet is hell, it's hot and has a super-dense atmosphere, but it once was similar to Earth. Scientists hope that understanding what happened to Venus's atmosphere could shed light on how our planet formed and serve as a cautionary tale to what could happen to our own planet. To discuss the two missions, we'll speak with two Venus experts. First, Paul Byrne, a planetary geologist and associate professor at UNC State University, about the intrigue and inquiry at our closest planetary neighbor and what we might learn about this hellish place. Then we'll speak with Darby Dyer, a professor of astronomy and deputy principal investigator for Veritas, about plans to map the surface of Venus and how these findings can help find planets much like our own outside our solar system. The Decade of Venus, that's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's space station. NASA selected two missions to Venus for its Discovery Program, awarding $500 million each to the Veritas and Da Vinci Plus missions. They'll launch between 2028 and 2030, and will collect more data than ever before from one of our closest planetary neighbors. So why study Venus in the first place? To answer that question, I reached out to Paul Byrne, a planetary geologist and associate professor at NC State University. Paul, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure, Brennan. Good to talk with you. So not only one mission, but two missions to Venus um, in right. NASA's Discovery Program. Uh, tell me about the day of the announcement for you as someone who follows uh, Venus as closely as you do. Was this an exciting day for you? Well, I'll tell you, I don't think my feet have touched the ground yet, and we're almost a week on. Um, you know, when NASA announced this competition, uh, which started you know more than two years ago, they had mooted the possibility that there'd be two selections. Um, that was what NASA did the last time they held a Discovery class competition, which, as a reminder, is those missions that are competed uh, and typically are, are coming under a, a half-billion-dollar price tag. So, you know, we were hoping that there'd be two, but then over the last while, it's not been clear what NASA's budget would be. It's not clear that they would be able to pick two. Maybe they'd pick one. Uh, four missions were shortlisted in February of last year, two of which were Venus, but... The last time NASA ran this competition, five missions were shortlisted. Two were Venus. In fact, two very similar versions of what ultimately got picked. So, you know, we in the Venus community had been here before where, you know, we figured our odds were good of at least getting one. So no one was counting any chickens until they hatched last week. But, you know, we found out a couple of weeks ago that maybe it looked pretty good that NASA might be able to support two. At which point, a lot of folks were like, okay, well, you know, it's not unreasonable to hope we might get one, finally. I got to tell you, no one I talked to uh, saw two being picked for Venus. And so when we found out that this was not just sort of, we're going to go to Venus and someplace else, but we are going back to Venus with these two missions, it was just unbelievable. And and I, uh, you might know this, I'm, I'm uh, involved in uh, what's called the Planetary Science uh, Decadal Survey. Planetary Science and Astrobiology Decadal Survey, which uh, the National Research Council and the National Academies of Sciences are organizing on behalf of NASA. It's taking place over about the, the last year. It'll run for another, another few months. Uh, and we, we have meetings every two weeks 
uh, as part of the Venus panel, uh, which I chair. Um, and we had had an open session last Wednesday morning where we have people present to us online and folks can watch via live stream. And then we go to closed session and we, you know, deliberate over what we'd heard and we make recommendations. And uh, we found out, you know, pretty much just the day before that Administrator Bill Nelson, NASA's new administrator, was going to make this uh, state of the NASA agency uh, speech. We'd heard rumors that maybe something about these missions was going to be announced. And so we decided in our session that we would break for a while and we'd just switch over to YouTube and watch that live press conference. Uh, and then to hear him in the middle of our session discussing what we're going to do for Venus exploration, to hear the administrator say we're going back to NASA, uh, or rather we're going back to Venus, uh, was was astonishing. So we, we reconvened, um, but it was like kids the last day of school. Mm-hmm. We got nothing done, so we just ended early. <laughs> well, let's take a step back. So, you know, it's it, these missions are, are funded, launching at the end of the decade. Um, right. But this is these are the first U.S. missions to Venus mm-hmm. in decades. Um, That's right. Why is it so important to study Venus? Because you look at this planet, it's hellish, it's hot, it's dense. Um, What are you hoping to find out from these two missions? And why is the exploration of Venus so important to the understanding of our solar system? Right. Well, I think basically you've kind of hit it right there in the the way you ended that question. If you look at our solar system from afar, there are two large rocky worlds orbiting the sun. Uh, They're about the same size. They're made of about the same stuff and about the same proportions. They're the same age. And yet one, Earth, has blue skies and blue oceans and, and trees and squirrels and you name it. And the other is, like you said, this hellish landscape. So how is it that you have two worlds that are functionally the same in terms of how they're formed and what they're made of that look nothing alike? That's the question. And the point of understanding Venus is not just for understanding Venus for the sake of understanding Venus. You know, when we go and look at Mercury or asteroids, we want to understand those worlds themselves in their own right. It's not just about understanding Venus on its own, though. It's about trying to understand what lessons Venus has for our understanding of Earth. How is it that you can have these two worlds so similar on on, on paper that actually are so different in, in, in actuality? So making sense of Venus actually is about understanding whether or not what we have on Earth is something we would expect generally for large rocky planets. Should we reasonably expect plate tectonics and a nitrogen oxygen atmosphere and oceans and habitability and liquid water on the surface for billions of years? Or should we reasonably expect what we find on Venus, where it's the temperature of a self-cleaning oven and the pressure equivalent to about a half mile underwater on Earth? But there's more to it than just that. That's what Venus is today. No one, I think, disputes the fact that Venus is probably the least hospitable place you'd look for life in the solar system, at least on the surface. The Venus atmosphere is a different question. Um, But we have indirect, circumstantial, tantalizing evidence that at some point in the distant past, Venus might actually have been Earth-like. It may actually have had oceans itself. It may have had the kinds of conditions on the surface that would be at least supportive of life. Now, this is, this is as I say, it's circumstantial evidence. You can build these different scientific measurements together to form this picture, but we don't know that it's correct. But the fact that we don't know that it's correct and the fact that the possibility exists that Venus may once have been Earth-like and then somehow changed means that it's so important to understand Venus because it'll help us make sense of our own planet. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of large rocky worlds in orbit of other stars that we are discovering more and more of every day. It's my understanding that Venus became the way it is because of this runaway greenhouse effect that right. happened in its atmosphere. I mean, does that mean that 
you know, these findings uh, from these future missions could serve as cautionary tales as to what could happen to our planet if, if something like that happened here? I mean, is, is, is it vital that we understand Venus for the survival of you and I? Well, so this is the thing. So I, I, let me kind of just say this up front and center. The likelihood of it affecting you and I is pretty low. I think, you know, we have enough to worry about with human-driven climate change, which is legitimately an existential crisis to our civilization that we need to step up and address. However... This kind of gets exactly to the point, you know, you're saying how we have this runaway greenhouse effect, this model for Venus, uh, and, and, and we've, we've assumed that this, is, this runaway greenhouse effect model applies to Venus for, for 50 years, longer, uh, and, and that model holds that just like on Earth, except at a much greater scale, uh, Venus's atmosphere traps more heat than the planet can radiate back to space, and as a result, just slowly but inexorably gets hotter and hotter. The question we've had for Venus is... Why did that runaway greenhouse effect happen, right? And so we have these two models for Venus, these two kind of, form, you know, uh, evolutionary scenarios. One of them is that Venus started off just terrible, that it was always inhospitable, mm-hmm. that probably because of its distance to the sun, and it's not very much closer to the sun than we are, but it does get about four times as much solar radiation. You can imagine a scenario where it just never managed, it wasn't able to cool down enough. And, it, and, and the heat that it had from its formation, from early giant impacts, from early sustained volcanism, just heated the atmosphere to the point where the planet could never really cool down enough to say condense. We think there was a lot of water in its atmosphere, but it probably didn't condense into, into oceans like it did on Earth. Right. So just purely from the fact that it got born a little closer to the sun, that might have set Venus on, on this you know, irreversible path early on. That's scenario one. But scenario two is painted by these circumstantial bits of evidence that I referenced a minute ago that suggest maybe Venus is Earth-like for perhaps a long time, and perhaps until only about a billion years ago. Now, to normal people, only a billion years ago is, is an impossibly long amount of time. But to geologists and to planetary scientists, a billion years ago isn't all that long in a planet's lifetime, right? These planets in the solar system are around 4,500 million years old. So 1,000 million years is not that long ago. And so the question is, which of these scenarios is correct? Did Venus start off wrecked just because of how close to the sun it was? Or did something else influence it and change its climate? With the, the best explanation we have, if that model is correct, is that it was voluminous volcanic activity of the scale that we've rarely seen in Earth history. But we have seen in Earth history, perhaps not quite of a sufficient magnitude to turn a planet into a runaway greenhouse, but certainly enough to, for example, drive mass extinctions. Right? So the, the, the single biggest mass extinction in Earth history uh, in recorded geological history, which is about 250 million years ago, was driven in large part by massive volcanic eruptions that led to pr- just extreme and protracted uh, climate change that led to massive acidification of the oceans and huge die-off of, of creatures both on land and in the, in the seas. So, so the question is, you know, is this something that, you know, what scenario applies to Venus? Was it scenario one, too close to the star, ruined for the get-go? Or was it scenario two, that maybe it was Earth-like for a long time, and then something, maybe volcanoes, basically killed it? This is huge implications for how we make sense of our own world. Mm-hmm. Because we have had liquid water on Earth's surface for at least four billion years, because we have, we have geological evidence for that. And... Uh, we have giant impact or giant volcanoes in our in our uh, in our geological record that have led to huge climate changes. So, is what Venus experienced something that perhaps all Earth-sized or large rocky worlds experience? Has Venus been unlucky, or is what Venus is today does that represent what large planets do generally? Mm-hmm. And has Earth been lucky 
to have escaped that fate so far is what Venus represents today something that Earth is inevitably going to look like? These are big questions. These are huge questions. And, and they, they, they speak to the very core of the question of, of our own planet's habitability and its ability to hold on to life for billions of years. And, you know, one of the most foundational things we do in planetary science is we try to understand what causes life, what leads to it, what conditions do you need for it? Where are those conditions present today? Where might they have been present in the solar system in the past? Are those conditions present someplace else today in the universe? Are there stars uh, that host planets around us in our solar na- in our stellar neighborhood that uh, might actually be Earth-like today? And the kind of crux of the whole thing is that right now, when we start to look for planets orbiting other stars, we cannot tell the difference between Venus and Earth. They're very similar in size. And so we don't know if we should reasonably expect to find on these worlds with our telescopes, Earth-like conditions or Venus-like conditions. We don't know. Mm-hmm. That's why we have to understand Venus, what it's doing today and what its past has been. And that's what these two missions are going to help us do. They won't answer all the questions, but they will put us on a really firm footing to begin to truly understand the history of Venus. And Paul, in about the minute we have left here, how will those two missions do that? What, what will they specifically go out and, and collect to help you at least attempt to answer those questions? Right. So, so there's two missions. Veritas is a radar mission. Veritas is going to carry a powerful radar to peer through the thick suffocating clouds on Venus and, and characterize the surface in two dimensions and in three dimensions at a level we've never had before. Something we're familiar with for, say, Mars and the Moon, but we just don't have for Venus. And that's going to help us understand what the surface is and what it looks like. It's also going to be able to measure some compositional information. We have so little information on what the actual rocks on Venus are made of. Veritas is going to give us that information. And then its stablemate, Da Vinci Plus, it's also going to have an orbiter, but the star of the show is a, is a yard-wide probe that Da Vinci Plus is going to drop through the Venus atmosphere, and it's going to take an hour to fall all the way to the surface. And during that descent, it's going to sample the atmosphere, and it's going to tell us its composition, which with those measurements, which we do not have right now, we're going to be very able to tell a lot about what the history of the, of the climate has been and of the atmosphere and how it formed. And then finally, just before that probe hits the ground, it's going to land over one of the most enigmatic ancient parts of the Venus surface, and it's going to photograph them. Uh, We can't photograph stuff from space. We need radar, but it's going to take infrared photographs as it gets near the surface, as the surface swims into view through the murk, and going to return images that we just so far have never managed to take for Venus. It's going to, both missions together are going to introduce us to a whole new world. That was Paul Byrne, a planetary geologist and associate professor at NC State University. Just ahead, we speak with one of those missions, Deputy Principal Investigators, about the efforts to map Venus and find worlds just like it outside our solar system. That's ahead when Are We There Yet continues. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's space station. I'm Brendan Byrne. Darby Dyer's mission to Venus was selected by NASA and will launch to that planet by the end of this decade. Veritas will map nearly 98% of the planet's surface, searching for volcanoes and tectonic activities. I spoke with Dyer in her lab last week, just after the announcement. Uh, Well, it was first thing in the morning. They called us at 8.30 in the morning. And uh, so we were all sitting around at, at home frantically, you know, 
pacing, waiting for the phone call to come. And when it came, I didn't believe it. In fact, when Seuss Mercar called me, I said, you're kidding, right? And she said, no, no, we really did get selected. And I just started screaming. And my dog thought I was crazy, but anyway, <laughs> that's what it like. You know, I, I've worked on forms of this mission for like 10 years. And so, you know, it's difficult to explain what it's like to work on something for 10 years with no hope or no promise of success. And then to finally have the promise be become a reality it, 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 it it's an indescribable feeling mm-hmm. i mean did were you optimistic i mean you know missions to venus the track record isn't very, that good <laughs> there there haven't been uh many in, in a few decades i mean did you did you think that this even had some hope of getting past this point and getting selected i knew that this was a very good solid mission um i fundamentally believe that we need basic data on all the planets in our solar system and you know the fact that the topographic data that we have on Pluto is better than the topographic data we have on Venus—that just seemed wrong. Um, so I was—I was actually pretty optimistic. But you know, we submitted this same proposal and made it to the finals four years ago now, and we were bitterly disappointed. So I, you know, because of that experience last time, I, I, I was, to use a family phrase, <laughs> high hopes. Um, <laughs> But but not a lot of optimism. Well, it was picked, um, so it that's picked. that's exciting. <laughs> and 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 you talked you talked about how there really isn't any of that topographical data on on Venus, and you yourself are a planetary geologist. So what's what's so interesting about this mission and and the geology of Venus? I mean, the, the first and most obvious thing is, if we ever want to go and land on Venus. It would be really great if we actually knew what the topography was like. You know, you, you don't want to set your lander down on some jagged surface that it's going to fall over and not work. So that's that's the most obvious answer. But there are many other reasons why you need topographic data. Uh, for example, one of the big questions that we have is, is about how plate tectonics started on Earth. And we think that plate tectonics is restarting now on Venus. And of course, the big signatures of plate tectonics on Earth are things like the the big rifts where plates are being subducted and things like the mid-ocean ridges and all of those things can be identified with topography Mm -hmm. uh, if you have high enough resolution topography. So there's a lot about sort of the entire structure of Venus that we don't understand and we won't understand without the better radar data that will give us the good topography. And tell us a bit how, how this spacecraft is going to accomplish that. How are you going to map the surface? Veritas has... Well, it has two primary instruments and three objectives. It has a radar, it has it will measure gravity, and it also has a spectrometer. So the radar is used to, you know, bounce beams back and forth to the surface and make a very detailed topographic map. The gravity data will give us a sense of what the subsurface structure looks like, and we're hoping that we'll actually get some information on the size of Venus's core. So, mm-hmm. you know, some, a window inside of Venus. And then the spectrometer, which is most exciting to me because I'm a spectroscopist, is going to orbit Venus and make the first uh, geologic map of, of Venus. And, you know, again, to a good geologist, the foundation of everything you do from here on is always based on a good geologic map. So the combination of great topography and a good geologic map will really catapult us into understanding Venus in a way that's just been impossible. That spectroscopy instrument, will it be will it be able to tell you what the surface is made of? Yes. Well, it's really, it's an interesting story because um, as you 
probably know if you tried to look at the web and look at pictures of Venus, Venus is completely covered by clouds, right? Mm -hmm. And the clouds are made of, of carbon dioxide. There's, you know, a lot of people talk about the fact that they contain sulfur, but the main uh, chemical constituent is car it's carbon dioxide, which we all know is a greenhouse gas, which of course is why the surface of Venus is so hot and high pressure because Venus is a runaway greenhouse effect. So it was long thought that we could never do re remote sensing on Venus the way we do it on so many other surfaces in our, on our, in our solar system. But turns out a few years ago, it was recognized that in a very tiny space around one micron in the wavelength, you know, in the giant electromagnetic spectrum, there is a place around one micron where CO2 does not absorb. And so you can actually do spectroscopy through that tiny window. Hmm. And with the, with the aid of some machine learning and some amazing laboratory data from, from Germany, because you can't do normal normal spectroscopy on the surface of Venus because it's so hot, it glows, you know, it, it melts lead. <laughs> so um, the combination of better laboratory data, understanding where those windows are and using machine learning, we've been able to figure out that we can tell something about the composition. Things like the difference between basalt and granite, which is really a, a really important one because granite forms in the presence of water and basalt doesn't need water. Um, so it's things like that. You're looking to confirm that that tectonic activity that, that you talked about. It's also this mission is looking for some volcanic activity. Right. Uh, why is why are these two things important to know about the planet? The volcanic activity will tell us a lot about the interior of Venus, right? How much heat is still left in, in Venus. Um, more importantly, it'll tell us how much water is in the interior of Venus because um, if a volcano erupts on Earth, it actually lets out a cloud of gas because there is, of course, gas dissolved in magmas beneath the surface. And when they erupt, the just like a can of Coke, right? The mm -hmm. volatiles ex escape into the atmosphere. So Veritas can actually see the water vapor that will come from a volcano. And so that's what we're gonna be looking for. And, and that's really important because we're trying to understand how elements that are crucial to habitability uh, are distributed in solar systems, not just Venus, of course, but extrapolated to exoplanets. Mm -hmm. And so understanding the sort of the commonalities of uh, how does hydrogen get in the interior of a planet? How does it end up coming to the surface? Um, how long does it stay there? How, how, how long is liquid water viable on the surface? Those are questions that are important, you know, not just for Venus, but for understanding the past and the future of Earth and for understanding other solar systems. You, you mentioned exoplanets, and you know, I know that the, there's been kind of this boom in, in you know, finding these possible exoplanet candidates, and a lot of them are believed to be these kind of Venus-like planets, right? Are you going to be able to take this data and, and be able to use that when you're looking at these other exoplanet candidates? You have done your homework, Brendan. <laughs> yes, indeed. And yes, and, and of course, that's part of that is coincidence. When we, when we detect exoplanets, we're looking, of course, for a, basically a shadow to go across a star. And, you know, you think about it, the planets that are closer to the star pa pass by more often. Mm -hmm. so, so those studies are slightly biased in that, you know, it, it's uh, perhaps not surprising that we've seen a lot of Venus-sized objects uh, in orbit around other, other stars. But having said that, yeah, the, you know, there are all of these common processes that occur throughout the galaxy, throughout the solar system and the galaxy and the universe as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the whole idea that you um, make a make the protoplanetary disk out of dust, and then as the star heats up, um, certain phases become, you know, uh, heated up or frozen or liquid or whatever. And so the idea that they're you know, that we're trying to understand how habitability proceeded in our own solar system will certainly guide 
our, our understanding of how habitability proceeds in other solar systems. Mm -hmm. And what about inhabitability, right? I mean, Venus is kind of Earth's evil twin is what it's been described as. I mean, is this kind of a, a foreshadowing as to what could happen to our planet? And, and will your will your research and, and your observations here help us kind of determine the future of Earth? Certainly, it is the future of Earth because, you know, it is the inescapable conclusion that our star will continue to heat up. And eventually, yes, the Earth will get fried. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we'll I'm going to... We'll be long gone, though, right? We'll, yeah. we'll be long gone, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's going to help us understand um, a, a lot about how how the habitable zone in a solar system sort of evolves. Um, there's a lot of talk now about um, the habitability zone in our own solar system and how, oh, you know, Earth is the Goldilocks planet and Venus is the hot evil twin and Mars is the next stepchild. But most people don't realize that Mars is actually kind of a different animal. It's so much smaller than Earth. Um, it's already cooled off, it, and it didn't have liquid water for very long, about 300 million years, whereas Venus had liquid water for like 3 billion years. Um, and when you think about the, you know, the same time frame on Earth, life was beginning to evolve in the oceans over that period of time. So to me, thinking about habitability, you know, yes, Venus might be a hostile, high-pressure, nasty place now, but a billion years ago, it, it could have been very, very different. And that is what captivates me in, in the study of Venus. Your mission is one of two that was selected um, that will you know, head to Venus by the end of the decade. This is just the start of a new chapter in understanding Venus. What, what, I mean, what's ahead for the exploration of this fascinating planet? Oh, I cannot wait. I mean, I, one of my hats at the moment is I am the chair of the Venus Advisory Committee to NASA, and about three years ago, we started the catchphrase, Decade of Venus, Decade of Venus. We got stickers, you know, printed <laughs> out. And, um, we handed them out at conferences, and we tried to publicize Venus as best we could. So I was quite pleased to hear the um, NASA administrator use the term Decade of Venus. Good. <laughs> so we have long said, and, and par as part of that, my community, the Venus community, has made all these very careful planning documents and we have said all along that we need three different missions to, to Venus. We need something that will map it and do the topography and the surface geology, which is Veritas. We need something that will look at the composition of the atmosphere, which is Da Vinci. And you can probably guess the third one is we need a, we need a lander. We need a modern lander. So I'm hoping that the, the next part of this uh, decade to Venus will be people proposing uh, landers to go to Venus so that we can actually, you know, complete the triumvirate and, uh, get get some amazing information on this planet and and i'm also confident that venus probably holds so many secrets i wouldn't you know i, I wouldn't presume to uh to, to even guess at what they are but i'm sure that after we've sent three three missions to venus there will be many more that we're going to want to do I, I think venus could turn out to be even more interesting than mars that was darby dyer a professor of astronomy and deputy principal investigator for the veritas mission well, that's going to do it for this week's show. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to this show's podcast feed and never miss an episode. You can subscribe on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got more space news online. Visit WMFE.org slash space. You can also stay connected to this show on social media. Give our Facebook page a like. Search for Are We There Yet? Podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. That's A-W-T-Y space. Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our intern is Randy Vuxta. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.